0: Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything foreign policy has to offer. Welcome to Philosophy for
1: Our Time, from
0: the Institute of Art and Ideas. We examine every aspect of contemporary thinking.
2: What is love?
3: Is it real?
0: Is democracy
1: illusory and incoherent?
0: Finding cracks in the way we understand the world. I
3: think there is a crisis of values. Realism has failed. We
0: debate the way forward with today's leading thinkers. We're all trying to understand what the hell is going on. A live podcast production from the Institute of Art and Ideas.
1: Thank you uh, and thank you everyone for coming to this debate, catching sight of ourselves where we're going to look at concept of whether there is a self, what finding yourself really means. So with me to discuss these issues, on my right is Christopher Hamilton. Christopher works at King's College London and his research interests of philosophy, literature, and film. To my left is Anjoa Ando. She's a writer and actress. Uh, to my far left is Daniel Miller. He's author of The Comfort of Things, Professor of Anthropology at UCL. I'm going to start by giving each speaker four minutes to put their case forward. Uh, Then we're going to explore a few themes in detail. So I'm going to start with Christopher.
2: It seems to me that one of the problems that we have in thinking about the nature of the self is that we find it fundamentally puzzling. And there are various reasons for that. One is because I think we're caught between two attitudes that we have towards ourselves. On the one hand, one attitude we have is of ourselves as being largely given, largely fixed in one's nature. Uh, I think this is something that everyone experiences to a greater or lesser extent, and I suspect that it's something that people tend to experience more as they uh, get older. I remember a colleague of mine once said, many years ago to me, oh, you're too young to have a sense of who you are. Well, I don't know whether I'm old enough now to have a sense <laughs> of who I am, but I do have a sense that there were certain parts of my self, of what I am, which are unchosen and are simply there. I know for a start that the reason I'm a philosopher is because when I was very, very young, I was puzzled by philosophical questions in a way that was totally unchosen by me. It's, they simply came to me, questions which of course at the time I didn't recognise as being philosophical, but now do. So the fact that I have those kinds of uh, intellectual interests is simply, it seems to me, a part of what I am and just an unchosen part. On the other hand, we also have a sense of ourselves as not being like that at all. We have a sense of ourselves as being incredibly flexible, incredibly responsive to mood, incredibly responsive to uh, the environment in which we find ourselves. So, for example, I know perfectly well that if I go and visit my mother or I'm with my partner or here, I'm not the same person on each occasion. I Different parts of me come out or maybe I'm acting in different kinds of ways. Or, or what is it? And that seems to be uh, a, a very mysterious and puzzling thing. So... Those two sides of the of the self seem to me in conflict. We have a strong sense of ourselves as given by a na- given with a given nature, on the one hand, and on the other hand, as not having a nature at all, being extremely, as it were, light and flexible and changeable according to uh, context. If I asked you now, what are you doing here? You could all give me a perfectly clear and rational account. On the other hand. It seems to me that there's another level at which we operate where we find ourselves completely mysterious. It's when we look back on our lives, we realize that we thought we were doing a certain thing and we realize that we were doing something else. So the example I sometimes use with my students, who are probably too young to get it, is what are you now doing? Oh, well, I'm trying to win this argument with my partner. Why are you doing that? Well, because she's clearly wrong, and I'm clearly right. And if she would only listen to reason, okay? so my, I can give an account of what I'm doing, then you realize, actually, later, What you were doing was undermining somebody else's ego or trying to assert your own ego or maybe destroying a relationship or whatever. So it seems to me this is very, very interesting. Looking back on our lives, we give an account of what we were doing, which we can't give at the time, and which leads to a sense of the mystery of what we are and our role and place in the world. Adjua.
4: So I'm not an expert in any philosophical or physiological or psychological field. I'm an actress with A-levels and three children, (laughs) one of whom is transgender. So the whole conversation about the self has come to me via the need to keep my very beloved, confused and very distressed teenager alive. I gave birth to a daughter who always felt herself boyish, even before she had the language to say no to dresses, but yes to Spider-Man. As a prepubescent girl, it was less problematic for her because she could simply be a tomboy. I was, it wasn't a problem. But as puberty hit, breasts, hips, periods, she was overwhelmed for several increasingly unhappy years by a profound sense of a physical wrongness. She watched a a television documentary on Channel 4 um, which mirrored her experience and that was when this sense of physical wrongness crystallised into an understanding of having actually been born into the wrong body I find it hard to say she about my son now it feels like uh, it's a dishonoring thing so after years of uh, support physically and mentally from the NHS and from a peer support group called gendered intelligence my son's in the process now of releasing his physical self into a synthesis with his mind becoming himself not an ugly duckling but a beautiful swan so I'm drawn to wonder what the self is made up of if my boy resonates as the same child I've always known and loved when his gender is now completely the opposite of the child I gave birth to. What's the innate sense of self that's so powerful that a teenager would rather choose death out of desperation and now thankfully would rather submit themselves to hormones and surgery and social opprobrium from some quarters than live outside themselves? That quality of self seems to me beyond the idea that we're simply some sort of fleshy computer It feels to me that we are multiple facets of a whole all the time. You know, when we say things like, I had to give myself a proper talking to. Who's the I and who's the myself? Or in my line of work, there's always a a sort of saboteur present. So before going on stage or before a take, the saboteur self who, who will whisper, you know, you can't get through this. You don't know all these lines, you'll never remember it all. Or even, let's be frank, the saboteur who's sitting here now going, what are you doing here? These are academics. You don't know what you're talking about. You should leave. So the, the saboteur is always alive and kicking for me. But I also have this um, bold girl, I call her, who's about three. She's me at three. She hasn't started school yet, so she's completely free, invincible and fearless. And when all those selves speak at one, as one, what's the thing that we've done in the past that makes us lose track of time? There's something in the rhythm of that thing that makes us lose track of time that, is, that chimes with each of us individually. And it will be different for all of us. And that, for me, has an authentic quality of self about it. And for my son, that's what I'm interested in. You know, he synthesizes the physical with the mind so he becomes the boy he always thought he was. But that's not enough. What's interesting is, who is he built to be? What should he be in the world? That's, that's, that's what I'm interested in.
3: Daniel. When we talk about knowing the self, when we talk about finding the self, we make assumptions, if you like, as to where the self actually is. And generally speaking, we're brought up to think that the self is inside. The self is possibly kind of deep inside, and, and that's kind of the profound, the stable, the real, the authentic. The spatial kind of metaphor interests me because I'm an anthropologist. And really what I try and understand is that other people don't necessarily see things the way we do. And the time when that kind of really struck me was when I was doing fieldwork in Trinidad. An awful lot of things I was trying to study just didn't make sense. Didn't make sense until I realized that the reason was that people had a completely different idea about the self. That they actually felt that what is deep inside a person is lies is untruths is deceit, because they're hidden from other people. Anything that is actually authentic to a person must be on the outside, on the surface, where other people can attest to it. And they can see, that's the truth. That's what the person really is. Let me give a got a trivial example. Um, The last book I did on Trinidad was actually about webcam. It was about what are the consequences of actually sort of going on Skype and FaceTime and things. And it struck me that instead of talking about the person they were kind of looking at out there, you know there's a little box in the corner where you see yourself, they were really, into that little box and the reason was what they said was well you know before i've seen myself in photos in film whatever but it's like i posed that or a mirror i, I you know I put my face on as it were half an hour into conversation you see the gestures you see i suddenly realise when i'm talking to somebody else that's who they see i didn't even think i was like that i'm quite kind of shocked but they're clear that that is the real person, that they are discovering themselves, because the key to discovering yourselves is to see how other people see you. Now the reason I think that might matter is actually I think these are not just spatial metaphors, they're moral, that we actually make in our tradition strong judgments about people. When you look at this broadly, because anthropologists do comparative work, you start to see a pattern. Some societies see it like we do, some societies see it like Trinidad, by and large, I'd say societies that have a tradition of hierarchy and institutionalisation have our belief that self is deep in, in inside. Whereas societies that are more egalitarian, New Guinea or Trinidad, etc., they um, tend to see the self as outside. And as we'll see later on, I think that maybe has interesting consequences for our discussion.
1: So we're going to explore some of these themes in detail. And the first question I want to look at is... You know, is the self a real thing that can is stable enough to survive through time and can it really be known? Uh, so Christopher, I'm going to start with you.
2: There's a big question lurking in the background here, which is to the extent to which we think we have a, a nature, a human nature, there's such a thing as a human nature. My own view is that we do have a human nature, though I certainly think that the impact of culture is enormous, but it seems to me one of the things that gives us the sense that we have a self is that there are certain kinds of biological imperatives and certain kinds of uh, desires, recurrent desires, obviously sexual desire is one, but the desire to eat, the need for shelter and so on, these are, these are recurrent needs in human beings. And that seems to me one of the things that gives us a sense of a certain kind of stability in the, in the self, gives a sense of a certain kind of I who acts, who takes decisions, who has desires, however minimally uh, we describe that. So my answer is a tentative yes, I think there is such a thing as the self, the experience of the, of the self. Whether we can know it or not, though, it seems to me, well, basically, I think we can't. But I think it's part of the human condition that we can't stop trying to know it. In the sense that there's no such thing as, as finally arriving at the thought, now I know who I am, now I have the answer. There's always the possibility of further interpretation. There's always the possibility that somebody else might interpret my life in a particular <coughs> way, in a way that's quite surprising to me. It makes me think, well, wow, maybe that's really going on. And the philosopher Heidegger has this idea that we are As he puts it, gavolfen—that we're thrown into the world, and that we're forever, as it were, lagging behind ourselves, trying to catch up with what we are—and we cannot arrive at now. I have the answer, but even knowing that, we can't just stop. We still seek for self-knowledge, and so that seems to me a kind of contradiction that that we live with.
1: So, so you think there is a self, but we're always in—we never quite arrive there in searching for
2: it. It's not just that we never a, quite arrive there. Yeah, yes, it's, but it's, there's no such thing as arriving there.
1: Ajoa, <coughs> I presume you disagree with that. You believe there. Uh, no, I,
4: I, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, what, what, uh, uh, you know, it's this, it, it was when you were saying, Chris, about uh, uh, you had a, a, a taste for something curious that was philosophical from a very young age. Mm. That was a very particular mm. thing that was your your thing. Mm. Um, so for me that's a, quali- that's a quality of your particular nature. Mm. That, that's how I, would, how, how I would look at it. it, it there was something that um, Danny was talking about when you were talking about Trinidad and because I would say Trinidad is a super hierarchical uh, culture. It's come out of slavery. There's there's a there's a notion of calibrating your response to the world at all times. And the thing about Bacchanal, the parading and the, the spoofing of, of the of the slave owners by the by the carnival. Was it was a a moment of freedom to actually take off the mask of subservience and actually laugh and mock and do it in a contained way that looked like you were just having a party and then you could go back into the mask would come back on. So I, I, I think there's a, there's a way that people have to calibrate which bit of their self that it's safe to reveal and in what context. And what with, would you say uh, and the, with s- the self is? Well, for me, I would say the self would take a continual process of discovering because you may say, this is my gut reaction about something. Why is that your gut reaction? What, what, what things have come into play in your life that have made that your gut reaction? If you could put your finger on what those things were that came into play in your life that made that your gut reaction, maybe that wouldn't be your gut reaction. So this, the self would, would be something that is untainted i would say that and is, is a, culturally is constructed um, absolutely we are we are from we are what we are from from where we are at a certain level but there will be somebody in a completely different culture you know maybe in a in the rainforest who will have a curiosity that's a philosophical bent curiosity that would be the same as as, okay. as chris's i'm
1: going to bring daniel in in this how important do you think the culture is on the self or or is it something is there something unique well, first about the self
3: two quick disagreements My disagreement with Chris is that um, I really don't personally feel that we want to start with biology and sometimes not even psychology or philosophy. Because if we think, say from biology, that, you know, that is the source of what we're talking about, we talk about the self. Then if you have another group that doesn't Mm. see it that way, are they kind of less biological or do they have a different kind of link to biology? So I, I do have a problem with that kind of rootedness. With regard to Trinidad, uh, no, I I think that um, it's precisely because of slavery and indentured labour that there is such resistance to hierarchy, and I see it all the time when I'm there. And I think that explains a good deal about why in Carnivore there is such a concern with appearance being what you call play yourself, who you actually are, which was consistent with what I was saying before. But my point here would be... Instead of discussing this abstractly, I suppose because I'm an anthropologist, I'm interested in what do people actually do in practice in terms of this creation of the self and finding the self. I'll give two quick examples. I work, I mean, I'm working on social media, but I work all with the young in the schools, and I'm also working with the elderly. We, we both turned out to be working in hospices. Now, if you actually look at young people, etc., you don't see them... Uh, I mean, there is introspection and there is doubt, and you gave a very poignant example of, of real trauma. But mainly teenagers etc they are obsessively concerned with peers they're actually constantly trying out new you know I'm a goth and you can actually watch them in this kind of project of the self but it's all about I would argue this creation of possibilities and then seeing what the response is but not Determining by introspection whether that has created or whether you have found it, but always seeing, you know, what do my peers think? What do my parents think? And I found the same actually when I was working, I've been working with a hospice the last two years with people who are, who are dying of cancer. And I expected that this, you know, if any time there was going to be a time of introspection, of reflecting back on this project of the self, that would be it. But actually, it's not by and large what I found. What I was found people concerned with was loneliness. And I found that really, even at that age, it was valorization from other people for the worth of the self that self-esteem depended on. And I think if you look at what people actually do in respect to the self, it may be a little different from the way we kind of talk about it um, abstractly. Do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers? and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level.
1: The second theme we want to explore is you know, how important it is to know ourselves. Should we, is it, is it a Western luxury or is it really integral to, to who we are and how we live our lives? So, um, Ajoa, I'm going to start with you on this.
4: Well, I suppose if I take it from the, the perspective of my son, It was life or death important. He didn't feel right as a girl. He didn't feel right. He was also a teenager. He was also doing his GCSEs, and he had peer groups and all of that. I sent him to an all-girls school where his his sisters had gone because there the girls could be anything they wanted. They could be rocket scientists or homemakers or anything in between. Hurrah. But for my son, his sense of not being right in a group of girls caused him increasing, increasing unhappiness. And it was really important for him to find out where he should be and who he should be and how he should be in order for him to stay alive. Because it became a thing of such desperation that he would rather not be here than live in a way that felt so opposed to what internally was going on for him for most of us it, it isn't as extreme as discovering that you know we're, we're in the wrong body but i think in order for us to feel solid in the world we need to have a sense of ourselves because i do think we live in a culture where we're constantly looking for validation from outside we need it ha- w- will i get that job do they like me or all that sort of thing with that interaction with other people means that we have to judge what they think about us the whole time and that way leads to madness unless we have a sense of
1: Adieu, who um, I just wanted to ask you on this point. Uh, yes. Your son's very lucky that he lives in an era where he has a choice that he could uh, change this. Yeah. And often there's Her lots of examples where there are people that yeah. are born uh, in civilizations or in circumstances which absolutely might not suit themselves. You know, you, you look at people born in war-torn civilizations, they're probably saying this really is, does not suit myself. They don't have a choice. So in that, in those instances, is it important to also learn to live with yourself in a context which perhaps you feel doesn't fit
4: you. I absolutely agree. I, you know, A, my son could be feeling like this and be a refugee from Syria. You know, or or coming over on a boat or being, do you know, this isn't a a luxury of the West. This is everywhere, everybody. You know, and and lots of places, uh, Papua New Guinea, Bangladesh, Australia, all sorts of places, they have three genders. They acknowledge three genders now. It's legally in, I think Germany's the only place in Europe that does it. So in that regard, we're pretty behind the times, I, w- I would say. I mean, transgender people in this country, there are a lot. There are lots of areas in this country that, that don't accept it. My, my kids were at a Church of England school where, you know, some people said, you're going against God, you should burn in
1: hell. Okay. Uh, Daniel, I'm going to bring you in on this. Uh, how... Im- important is it to know ourselves?
3: I tend to see this much more in terms of relationships. I think that the thing that we tend to do most and be most concerned about are relationships and relationships of all kinds. Because I've worked in material culture, it's not necessarily a relationship even to a person. If you ask people how they manage to find themselves, you'll find it's often through things like when I became a fisherman or when I did my sports or when I did my cooking, or I became obsessed by a particular kind of retro punk music. And that's a relationship. It can be a relationship to the divine. It can be a relationship, I mean, related to pets. You know, the fact that my grandmother, when I came over, gave me baked beans and gave the dog chicken, I came to understand that was, you know, the key relationship. Um, And the point (laughs) about it was, I think when you do find people really concentrating on themselves it tends to be because it's become a kind of external project I am now interested in the crafting of myself and I do it much as I would craft a relationship with another person with a pet with the divine etc whatever it is it's always got to be through that externalization that's actually how we find ourselves and it is very important to people they do that.
1: Okay, Christopher
2: Hamilton, yeah.
1: would you agree that it's all about relationships or is the self, is it more inside ourselves? Well, I
2: think here there's the distinction that is helpful is uh, one that the German-American philosopher Hannah Arendt uh, offers between who one is and what one is. So if somebody says, who are you, one always gives a description which could in fact fit millions of other people. So she draws a distinction between what one is and who one is and says that the who is always elusive in various ways. Now, that seems to me plausible. But we try to find out who we are, partly, of course, by reflecting on who one is. But it's it's reflecting on who one is in relationships, but more generally in the way in which we externalise ourselves in, in the world. Because it seems to me the following is true. There are some human beings for whom thinking about who they are is not terribly important, but for human beings as such, it seems to me, and I agree with you Daniel, inconceivable that we could just give up the idea of knowing ourselves, but knowing ourselves is also the kind of architecture that we build, the kinds of festivals that we put on, the kinds of things we watch on television, that we have televisions at all, that all of that is a way of finding out who we are without sitting and kind of reflecting on What would on it happen goes, to
1: society if we, if we didn't
2: uh, be well concerned we, with
1: discovering who we are?
2: we die. We, we wouldn't be human beings. It's part of what human beings are that they externalise themselves in various kinds of ways.
1: Now, if we didn't, if we did all abandon this search for who we are and some societies around the world are forced to because they don't have the, the luxury of introspection, uh, what might replace it? Now I'm going to bring in Daniel Miller on this.
3: The essence of what we do can be summarised as empathy. What actually we try and do is understand other people and how it is they have the views they have. And particularly I would say to students, you know, find people you detest or whose opinions you really don't like. And if you can understand why for them that is just the natural way to think and to be, that's what empathy actually allows you. Now the result of that is when you see these people who have completely different from yourself you come to a much more acute sense of in fact what your particular self is like and the fact that it isn't just taken for granted it doesn't natural but actually it's formed in a very particular stance and set of ideas which may be different from all these other people. I think that the key point for us uh, ethically is that we do things with reason, with that kind of understanding. We are in love with somebody because we understand them, not because we fall in love. We have a religion because we have chosen to understand and reflect on that, not because we're born to it. And that the self in that me comes from externalisation, empathy and reason and then knowing why we are let to be. So you don't just support Arsenal, you know why you support Arsenal.
1: What would replace it if, if we didn't go on this
3: quest to search the self? Well, I think w- what we have if we don't do that is a kind of passivity um, which simply accepts, and many people do, They're born, they do what they're told to do, they live their lives um, accordance with rules. We don't actually need to do any of this. There's plenty of rules and social kind of expectations, etc., that will just allow us to sail through to death without that kind of, as it were, conscious concern with, in a sense, why we in particular are doing this in particular.
2: Christopher, what's
1: your reaction Well,
3: I
2: I think I disagree because I think that actually most of what one does in life, one doesn't do for a reason. I don't think one does fall in love with Arsenal or (laughs) a person for a reason. I don't think one in general chooses a religion. I don't think in general one chooses one's basic moral outlook. It seems to me actually that a great deal of human life consists in making the best of a bad job. One finds oneself thinking or feeling a certain kind of way and in part one might think actually this is impeding me in various kinds of ways I'd like to stop doing that or one tries to give reasons in retrospect. I was brought up for example as a Catholic and largely accepted certain as I now see, progressive Catholic ideas, but then later lost my faith. But had I gone a different way, I might have sought reasons why, in fact, the view I had was that was the correct view. And I, have, I teach in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies, and I have colleagues who I think of as doing that, because they think they're doing something else, which is proving the truth. But, um, <laughs> But... And I think that that's what one does. One tries to give reasons in retrospect for what it is that one believes. And this is a very interesting fact about human beings. But that at some very deep level, one just finds
3: oneself there with a set of views. Can I go make a quick mark? Quick a I quick think, one,
1: and then I'm going to bring it. I think further. actually,
3: which is a good thing, we've swapped roles. I mean, basically, I think what you're doing now is describing the practice of what people actually do. I don't, all I say is, I wasn't saying... At uh, this final point, I wasn't saying what people do, I was just saying what I'd like them to oh be doing. Right, okay.
1: <laughs> I'll be Adieu. What could replace this search for the self?
4: I just don't think that there is anything that could replace it. You know, we talk about oh, the luxury of being introspective. I don't think it's a luxury. I think it's like breathing. I'm a bereavement counsellor in a hospice. And um, people, they've made the best of a bad job or they've just they've sailed through their life and then get, they get tripped up by something that we all know is coming someone's death who they love and they may come in years after it happened they come I- may come in six months after it happened they'll come in and somebody will say i'm uh, head of a department and I, I i keep forgetting things and 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 i keep dropping stuff and uh, 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 uh my breath is really short uh, or or somebody else will come and say i can't stop crying it's really embarrassing you is know, that um, to do with this And and realising yourself? It's the impact of the death on the self. And they've done the funeral, they've done the reception, they've done the anniversaries, they've done all of that stuff. But at some profound level, it's impacted on their sense of who they are in a really powerful and dynamic way that has become so um, unacknowledged, so unreflected upon that it's it's become a somatic, physical absorption into their body. And their body is now going...
1: This is no. So, would you say it's possible for the self to change because of um, life events like that? I think that? the self can be more known, and I think in that more knowing, people
4: actually begin to be able to physically function again. But I, I think not reflecting on the self. You know, the person who's forgetting stuff may eventually lose their job because they can't actually focus on on stuff. It's, it's vital for our survival that we have a a sense of of who we are. Whether we consciously or unconsciously are seeking that is, is a moot point. But but I I think that that search goes on the whole time.
1: So wha- one quick question to draw on that then, um, which I'm going to to ask each of you is if you know if you can temporarily lose yourself from a from a, situa- a bad situation like that, can you? Refind uh, yourself quite quite easily. I think um, our lives
4: would be so much richer if we find that rhythm that is our particular rhythm.
1: So you would say you can arrive at finding the self? Uh, I think it's possible. And then the search ends? No, I don't think the search ever ends.
2: When I was uh, 38, just over 10 years ago, I discovered who my real father was, who was somebody, I, in fact, I knew from uh, a long time back who'd had an affair with my mother. And this cast my whole life and my whole sense of identity in a completely different way and I felt I'd lost my identity and had to remake it and one of the things I think that's interesting about that for me anyway was um, the sense that a a total kind of rupture and and a a break and a a sense of reconstituting myself along with certain things that were remained and for me there was a peculiar irony in the fact that you know I Worked as, a, worked as a philosopher reflecting on questions of identity and then this thing really happened to me and then I had to start thinking, you know, some of my friends said, well, it would happen to you, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a permanent struggle, but you see, these kinds of questions is partly why I mentioned the issue of biology, you know, the sense of biologically where one comes from, which is not something we've touched on, you know, who's the b- flesh and blood from which I've come? These things, I think, are much closer to our sense of identity than we imagine. And it's only, I hadn't really thought about it until I had to. But these things all go into, into that sense. And in, and in one way, I think I agree with something that Daniel was saying earlier, that in a certain way, one is on the surface. And it's seeing how one is on the surface and how people react to one's surface, what one looks like, one's facial expressions, one's gestures and so on, that one can, as it were, gain a sort of sense and regain, perhaps, a sense of identity.
1: Okay. Daniel, um, would you say that the self, it can change through like key life events, personal life events, I mean not cultural ones?
3: I guess I have a more basic problem with the terms of the discussion, that I actually think that the problem we have is while for some people it is clear that a project of the self is meaningful, is valuable and essential for some people. Actually, I think for most people, it is entirely other things labor relationships how other people see that's what's going on in life and actually the fact that we have so much philosophy and psychology and analysis etc telling us there is this thing the self we've set up a discussion and actually to me um i would love us to actually pay attention to other things because i think they're much more reflective of what really goes on in people's lives and having to feel that you have to find or know a self is actually mainly a burden
1: okay Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, brought to you by the
4: Institute of Art and Ideas. Which side of the debate did you fall? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag, #WhatIsTheSelf. the self? If you think that ourselves are constructed through our relationships with others, you might enjoy The Love of Things, a
0: talk by Daniel Miller, available now on the IAI TV player. If you want to listen
4: to more episodes, then subscribe to the Philosophy for Our Times podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or Stitcher for more big ideas on the go. We would love to hear your feedback, so please do email us on podcast at iai.tv. Tune
1: in next week for a talk about politics and the patriarchy.